Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. So I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live. Welcome to Newcastle Libraries, your summer stories. Welcome to the podcast. My name's Dan Cox. I'm a broadcast journalist and radio presenter with ABC Newcastle. In this episode, you'll hear from Gary Disher. He's published more than 50 books in a range of genres, from crime thrillers to short story collections, young adult fiction, and even writer's handbooks. He has a growing international reputation as well, which means he's toured Germany and the US, where his novels have appeared on Best Books of the Year lists and won various awards. His latest titles include the ninth Wyatt thriller, Killshot, the standalone crime novel, The Way It Is Now, and the book we're discussing today, Day's End, the fourth in his very popular Hirsch series. Gary Disher, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Dan. I've heard a few of your fans say that Hirsch, the main character in Day's End, is one of their favourite characters. Why do readers love him, do you think? I first should say that in the series, Bitterwash Road was meant to be just a standalone. My publisher suggested, move, move away from the series books and just write a standalone. And I was happy to do that because I wanted to push it by boundaries. But Hirsch wouldn't let me alone, really. He kept tapping me on the shoulder. And, and so now we have the fourth Hirsch and I've been contracted to write a fifth one. I think people like Hirsch for two or three reasons. One is that uh, unlike a lot of uh, heroes in crime fiction, he's not senior. He's not a police, uh, he's not a detective inspector or anything like that. He, has, he doesn't have very much authority, really. He's cluey. Um, he knows how to read crime scenes, and for example, because he used to be a detective until the, the detective squad he belonged to was disbanded and he got sent to the bush in disgrace. But he's cluey, but he doesn't have any authority, and he's often tackling with more senior police who try to elbow him aside. Now, that's part of his appeal, I think. Also, he's a newcomer to the area, unlike a lot of crime fiction where the main character is firmly rooted to the place, like Jack Irish is firmly rooted to Fitzroy, for example, or in, in uh, Inspector Rebus is firmly rooted to Edinburgh in Scotland. Uh, Hirsch is an outsider. He's a city boy. He, so he's got two avenues of investigation. He needs to investigate the place to work out what makes it tick, as well as the circumstances of the crime. And I think the third main reason is his personality. He's, he's amiable. He's patient, he's kindly, uh, he's often dealing with teenagers and uh, he might give them a rap over the knuckles, but uh, you know, he's not going to throw them in, the, in jail or put the handcuffs on. He tries to be patient with them. And he's as much a welfare officer as, as a law enforcer. He's often dealing with like a, a widow who's got a schizophrenic son, for example, or two teenage kids in the town who are caring for their bipolar mother. So that's part of the appeal, I think. You mentioned that Hirsch stayed with you, even though you only wanted necessarily to write that first book. Has that happened to you before? Did you have, for example, Wyatt stay with you? Have you had characters stay with you? 
Uh, it has happened before, yeah. Uh, at the moment, I'm working on a new crime novel and I'm using a female thief who appears in one of the Inspector Chalice novels. She hasn't really left me alone either. I wanted to explore her story a little bit further, so I'm trying to work a novel around her. Wyatt, though, was always going to be a series character. I've heard from your fellow writer, Michael Robotham, that he'll be out to dinner and his characters will be with him in real life. His wife would say to him, for example, you're with her right now, aren't you? Has that happened for you as well? Not just where you can't get away from writing about them, but where you might be at a dinner party or out with someone and, and someone's, where are you? Gary, come back. It happens all the time, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I don't mean to do it, but uh, I'm, I, I call it being with novel. Yeah, even when I'm not writing, I'm thinking not necessarily also about the book I'm writing at that moment, but my creative head is always spinning. I'll see someone across the room in the restaurant, for example, and there might be something they've said or done or gestured that will make me think about who are they, what's driving them. That that thing ha- sort of thing happens all the time. And I try not to do it because it sometimes can seem rude, I think. Must make for a good book, though. Welcome to Newcastle Library's Your Summer Stories. Seven sizzling reads picked especially for you. Wyatt and Hirsch are very different characters. You've mentioned a little bit about Hirsch, but Wyatt is a professional thief who happens to solve some crime along the way. Where did these characters come from for you? Because they are so different. When you say you sit down to write the first book about Hirsch, where did they come from? Well, taking Wyatt, for example, he, the first Wyatt was the first crime novel I ever wrote, and it's, we're going back to the 1990s. At that time, I, I think writers work within a tradition, crime writers especially. They take the private eye tradition uh, and uh, transplant it to Sydney, for example. So I had been reading tough 1950s, 60s, 70s uh, American crime fiction where often the main point of view is uh, from a professional criminal. And there's a series about a a guy called Parker by the author Richard Stark. Some of those were made into films. And I liked that idea. I wanted to transplant that to Australia. But I didn't want to slavishly copy this American writer. Um, I make Wyatt my own character. So that's where that came from. And I think there's the appeal in everybody, in writers and readers too, of uh, crime from the inside, the, that crime fiction can appeal to a darker side of us, perhaps the side that wants to commit the perfect crime, rob the bank and get away with it. Uh, so I'm, ta- I'm tapping into that in myself and into readers, I think. But Hirsch came out of the fact that I grew up in the mid-north of South Australia, halfway between Adelaide and the Flinders Ranges, on a wheat and wool farm. And even though I left there to go to Adelaide Uni when I was about 18 or 19, the place has never left me, uh, really. Uh, my parents are dead now, but I've still got family over there. And I haven't lived there for a long time, but it's the place that made me, really, so... I keep returning to it in in my books. And I wanted to write another novel set in the Mid-North, but didn't. And at first I thought it would be a cop who's well-rooted to the area, but I thought it would be more interesting, more tension if he's an outsider. And so I thought of Hirsch, who's not simply an outsider, but there's a bit of a stink attached to his name because he belonged to a CIB squad that had been uh, disbanded. 
You mentioned a fifth Hirsch is on the way. Is there a tenth Wyatt on the way? Fans are asking. <laughs> they ask me too. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't put him to bed yet. I, I would like to write another Hirsch. Uh, sorry, another Wyatt. The issue there for me as a writer, though, is the fact that it's harder for old-style crims like Wyatt to rob a bank or a payroll van these days or break into a safe because the technology is so advanced now. So it's my job as a writer to think of crimes that he could reasonably commit, as I did with a couple of the more recent Wyatts where he breaks into a house and steals a painting, for example. I can, I can get away with that, but he's unlikely to rob a bank again because I don't know how he'd do it. <laughs> Extraordinary talking about the change in technology then and how your writing has changed. The crimes have changed since 1990. Oh, they have. And the attitude to crime too. I would admit that the Wyatt novels are complete fairy tales in the sense that uh, in real life, the big money is in drugs and the people who deal these drugs are often addicts themselves, which makes them vicious and unpredictable. Uh, there's no romance there. There's a bit of romance in a guy who can rob a bank and get away with it, but not with uh, drug dealing, I don't. So and also cybercrime and all those things, that's changed the face of uh, crime, I think. In Day's End, there are quite a few references to COVID-19. How do you decide whether the pandemic is included or not? Could you have ignored it in a book printed in 2022? I don't think you can. I, I grappled with this with the novel that came out last year called uh, The Way It Is Now. And I wrote that right in the, those early, that first year of the pandemic, when there was no full stop to it. We didn't know where it was going. So I couldn't, I knew I couldn't uh, write very much about it in case by the time the book came out, it had been eradicated from the earth or uh, it's, it might sound badly outdated. So I set that novel in the uh, finishing in March 2020 when the world is starting to realise, hey, there's something big happening here. Uh, but with this new Hirsch, I thought, okay, I'm going to set it in the mid-pandemic. Again, there's no full stop to the pandemic. We don't know where it's going to go. But... By then, by the time I'd written that book, there'd been a lot of associated things happening with, with it, like COVID denial, uh, anti-vaxxers, and their interaction with uh, far-right movements and, and um, QAnon and all those things. It's a sort of a creepy underworld of, of people who, do, who uh, don't believe in science, who believe that the world's against them in some way. So I, I was trying to tap into that uneasiness that I sense around us. But to get back to your question, I don't think a writer can uh, ignore the pandemic. It's so huge and it's affected us so much. But I think, you know, some of my peers continue to write novels as though the pandemic had never existed. I've spoken to some of them and some of the reasoning is that people are using books as a bit of an escape. Don't bring it up in the middle of it. But I am always interested in finding out how much of a conversation you have with yourself and also your publishers about what to include if at all. I have conversations with myself, not not so much with my publishers, though. But really what I was trying to get at with the, with the Hirsch novel is how would a cop deal with this? I'm not trying to beat the reader over the head with a big stick about how we should approach the COVID pandemic or its evil effects or anything like that. I'm looking at one humble cop and what he has to deal with and how he how he copes with the the, the strange little little domestic crimes or strange behaviour of people uh, as just as a cop. That's 
that's my main focus. And that makes it more interesting because it's the, the human point of view. Cultural appropriation, references to your characters living on unceded land, uh, racist attacks on the Aboriginal Cultural Centre and the services are all in this book. Do you see your novels as a platform for raising some of those Indigenous issues? Uh, not so much a platform, but to reflect what's going on. But I need to acknowledge um, an Aboriginal woman, an Indigenous woman who wrote to me saying that she liked the early Hirsch novels because... Hirsch himself is curious about his, this area and he finds references to the original inhabitants. Uh, he finds a settler journal that refers to what might have been a massacre, for example. He's aware that some of the sheep station he visits, the farmers there have found rock art along little creeks uh, on their properties and so on. So he's, he's aware of the historical presence. And this woman wrote to me and said, where are the present day Indigenous inhabitants of your in your books and i thought uh, there's a wonderful kick up the bum so i thought of a way of uh, weaving it into the story and the main character of that plot line is a very strong character she sets up a sort of a community hub for the for local indigenous people which of course arouses the ire of the local racists and all the rest of it and uh she's not the main character but i uh, I enjoyed inventing her, so to speak, and weaving her into the story. And I think it it's reflective of uh, what's happening in many rural areas in Australia and urban and suburban areas. I loved meeting Auntie Steph. She was uh, a great part of Day's End. So are you conscious of then your social commentary, your, your ability to highlight some of those issues, or are you literally just writing uh, a novel, something people can enjoy? Because when that woman did get in touch with you and say, what about the modern-day Indigenous people of the area? You jumped at the chance to embrace that. I do think, you know, in most of my crime novels, I'm reflecting on what's happening around me, uh, social movements, social distress, social welfare is issues, or issues of law and order and punishment, political movements, undercurrents, those sorts of things. I reflect them rather than, as, as I said before, beat the reader, reader over the head with some sort of message what has to come first is the story, but uh, I like to, because I think all these things affect how the police operate. It has an effect on crime, for example. Uh, in my Inspector Chalice novel set on the Mornington Peninsula, the peninsula has doubled in size as some of the old peninsula towns have swallowed up the farmland around them. So there are new housing estates, but there are not enough primary schools, not enough public transport. There are not enough police now for this extra burden of population. So I'm interested in weaving those sociological issues, if you like, through the story as, as it affects the police and policing. Another fellow writer, Chris Hammer, talks about planners and pantsers, writers who plot before they start and know the outcome versus the pantsers who fly by the seat of their pants and the plot just unfolds as you type. Which one are you, Gary? I'm a planner, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I learned it the hard way. In my first few, uh, couple, first couple of novels and many short stories I wrote early in my career, uh, I wrote, uh, it was a voyage of discovery, I wrote to see what happens. The Irish writer Sean O'Fallon said you need three elements, a character, a situation and a promise. And that's how I'd write back then. But I tried that approach with my first Wyatt and it was a dismal failure. And I realised I needed to, if I stay a step ahead of the reader, 
If I get the reader to exercise their minds about the wrong issues and so on, if I have carefully placed turning points, delaying tactics and withholding tactics, that's all planning is necessary to achieve that. So now I spend several weeks, even two or three months planning until the whole book is in my head. But when I say that, though, do trust my instincts. If halfway through the novel uh, I get a tap on the shoulder saying this is this is unlikely, your character's not likely to do this, isn't this more reasonable? I'll listen to that voice rather than be a slave to the plan. And what about the pace? How do you know when your book is compelling enough when the crime novel's pace is perfect? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I seem to be getting it right. When I send the manuscript to the publisher, or to my editor rather, all she does is make small changes. She likes to cut. <laughs> she, she sharpens up my sentences and gets rid of repetitive paragraphs and that sort of thing, but never major structural changes. So for whatever reason, I, I seem to get it right in terms of pacing. I think probably as a writer, I would start to feel a bit of boredom if I'm just spending too long on, a, on something. And I, I do need then a man to walk through the door with a gun in his hand and get the story going again. Plot twist. Welcome to Newcastle Libraries, your summer stories. Read, relax, and join the conversation. We're seeing loads of debut novels from Australian authors. Lots of it Aussie noir, lots of it rural crime fiction. You've been writing it for years. Are you hearing from these younger writers that it's easier today than it was five or 10, 15 years ago to get published? I'm not hearing from them, no, but I am aware of it, yeah. There are two things there. I think Australian crime fiction is now becoming more acceptable and more popular with Australian readers. I think there was a resistance to it when I first started, that if it's Australian, they can't be good enough. But that that old um, belief is is gone by the wayside, I think. So crime fiction panels on writers' festivals are much more popular now. There are dedicated uh, crime writing festivals. Uh, Books get serious critical attention in the book review pages, more so than before. That's happening, so it's become much more acceptable. But the other part of that answer is this rural noir or outback noir uh, is the uh, flavour of the month at the moment. I don't know how long it'll last. As you said, I w- I've always been writing and I didn't know I was writing out back noir until a, a newspaper reporter uh, defined it as such. You made uh, it popular. I've, I've wrote, <laughs> well, I know. I think who, what, who made it popular are Jane Harper and Chris Hammer with their first books. I've been writing for years. It's easy for me to be sort of overlooked in that sense, whereas a new writer with two strong books set in the showing that the Australian rural area is is okay to write about, they they were the ones who really made it. I'd always been writing it, but didn't know that I was. <laughs> what makes a great crime novel then? What's the what's the secret? I think there has to be a good story, sure, but that's never enough because if there are very strange, very tricky plot twists, they're not going to affect the reader unless the reader is travelling with the main character. Uh, so I think a strong a strong central character, an appealing character who's like us, not ultimately not us, they, they step where we fear to tread, usually at the end of the novel, because they're tested in some way. But along the way, you know, they have messy love lives, they're worried about their elderly parents, should they go into aged care, They've only got stale cheese in the fridge. You know, they're like us, and that's part of the appeal. 
But uh, if there are no likable characters or no interesting or strong characters, a crime novel will fail. Excuse my ignorance. Have you talked about or had anything, any of your novels turned into something on the screen, whether it be TV or film? And would you be interested? Oh, yeah, I'd love it if it happened. Uh, I'd like to be in the, cr- in the crowd scene. But no, I've been, most of my books, not most, but many of them have been optioned, which means that a pr- production company will take, take out a, 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 an option for perhaps two years and I get a couple of thousand bucks. It's never, while they try to get funding together or a script written, but unfortunately it's never gone beyond that. Are you all right with uh, someone else taking on the, the script or would you like to be part of it? I'm okay with someone else taking it on because <laughs> I think script writing is a quite different skill. If I had to write a script, it would make me terribly anxious, I think. So I'm happy for someone else. What are you reading right now, Gary? Uh, I'm reading, as you, as it happens, Michael Robotham's latest book. So. While you were sleeping or lying beside uh, you, I think? No, lying yes, beside that's right. you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How much of what you're reading right now influences what you write or how much of what you read as a child influences what you write now? Usually what I read now doesn't influence me unless it's a very strong, compelling voice in some way. If it's a bad crime novel, I'll I'll read critically to see why it's bad. In that sense, uh, it affects how I write because I'll try to avoid those sorts of errors. But uh, no, I'm able to switch off when when I read fiction uh i I read for enjoyment mostly and are you picking Um, up on little things from fellow excellent writers like michael robotham who are just as successful uh, and that taking little ideas and seeing what they've done uh, yeah i do i read actively in in that sense if i've noticed something for example i've noticed that michael most of michael robotham's books are written in the present tense and i've thought i wonder if i could make that work wonder how I would do that. My instinct is to write in the past tense. So, I mean, that's just that's a writerly craft thing, but I notice those things. One of my favourite writers is John Sanford, who's not so well known now, but he's written about 20 or 30 prey novels, Golden Prey, you know, those sorts of titles he has. They sound like terrible pulp, but they're good books. And he's a very tricky plotter, a very sneaky plotter. And he, I like the way he... Uses multiple viewpoints. You, he'll, he'll, you'll travel partly with the hero, but you'll also travel with the bad guys. So you get a multiple viewpoint of, of what's happening, and that's really useful for cre- creating tension and suspense. So I learned from him, I think. Gary, reviews are really helpful. They let your fan base know that there's another book to buy. Do you read the reviews in the paper? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> I want people to like me. <laughs> Well, and is it good feedback too on what, if a critic says something that you agree with or disagree with, at least you're getting a sense of what the population, your readers might think? Yeah, I think often you don't get time in a newspaper review for a long, thoughtful approach. But if I do strike one of those and they raise uh, interesting points, then then I'll listen to it. Because, yeah, a, a good reviewer, I think, can pinpoint things that perhaps your editor hasn't or, or what's worse, things you were aware of yourself but couldn't quite put into words. This might be like asking for your favourite child, so I won't ask for your favourite book you've written. But I do want to know, if, if someone is new to your work, which book would you suggest they start with? And is it the start of a series or is it in the middle somewhere? 
There are two or three books I might suggest. If they're interested in crime in the crime fiction, I would read the first of the Hirsch novels, Bitter Wash Road, although you don't have to start at the first novel. They are distinct stories in themselves. Uh, in terms of my more literary fiction, perhaps two books, uh, The Sunken Road. It's set in the wheat and wool country where I grew up, but it's not a crime novel. It's about uh, the life story of a, of a woman who lives on, the, on a farm. And a more recent literary novel called Her. I read an old newspaper article uh, in a country newspaper a long time ago when I was doing research for a history textbook. And it said it was only three lines long and it was about a little girl being sold by her parents to a wandering scrap man and his wife. That's all it said. And that, that took me 15 years to write that novel because I, I had to find my way into that little girl. Of course, terrible things happened to her, but ultimately I wanted a character who had an indomitable spirit. So perhaps that novel might, people might like to read that one. Three great suggestions from you. I also suggest then Day's End, number four in the Hearst series. I cannot wait to read number five. Gary Disher, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks for listening to Your Summer Stories from Newcastle Libraries. Why not take a dip and a sip, then rate and review us wherever you listen. This has been a Newcastle Libraries Real Production production. 